Welcome to The Climate Fix. My name is Asim. On this show, we shine a spotlight on nonprofits, academics, corporations, startups, anyone working on a solution to the climate problem. On today's episode, recorded on April the 2nd, 2020, I spoke with Johnny Page from Cyan Finance. Johnny's background in sustainability includes partnerships with the UN Environment Programme, and he's also stood as councillor for the Green Party in the UK. He's also successfully co-founded and secured investment for his own startups and now works with prospective green companies to bring them into the science portfolio and help them with financing. I met Johnny at one of our meetups for the London climateaction.tech community. We were playing the deep decarbonisation draft game, This is a game where you have to pick the decarbonization strategies that give you the best results without researching on the internet. Let me just say Johnny was doing really, really well. It was very clear he knew off by heart which strategies were the most effective. We spoke later and it turned out he's part of an organization called Cyan Finance, a green merchant bank. They invest their own balance sheet into green and sustainable businesses as well as helping to raise capital from their network for clients. Look, to fix the climate, we're going to need resources, and money is how we're going to pay for them. I wanted to interview Johnny to honestly find out how the green finance industry works at this level, what the challenges are, the different players involved, and how to get money to where it can be most effective. Let's dive in. So hi, Johnny. What is the climate problem that you're solving? There are loads of fantastic innovations and smart people with ideas of how we can um, mitigate and sometimes even reverse the impacts of climate breakdown. The one thing which will hold all of those back from being successful is access to finance. Quite simply, if you can't, if we don't fund something, if we can't fund something, then that will never become a reality. The problem is that for businesses that are looking for larger checks, they're looking for larger amounts of money. Pre-coronavirus, there was access. You know, there was there is an established me- mechanism to fund businesses like that, especially if you're looking for sort of total of twenty million plus. But if you've just let's say you've got some money from friends and family, you've got your business up and running, you're now starting to find that you're having some impact. And you're looking for, in the order of, let's say, a few hundred thousand, even less, up to the 10, 15, 20 million. There's a gap there, which um, some people call the um, sort of valley of death. And if you can't bridge that valley of death, if you can't get over, if you can't get from that friends and family round through to those larger checks, then, you know, there's innovations that we really, really need to be a success simply won't be able to make it and is that what sign finance is doing that's the gap that your company is filling our thesis is that the future state of the economy is one that is centered around um, the green economy and at some point in the future every investment and every business will be green because the businesses that have a negative impact on the environment will be priced out in some way now we don't know how soon this will happen um we don't know if it's going to happen soon enough but what we do know is that you just have to look at the shift in public consciousness that is happening 
on average, and these things are always on average, and we take them you know, on a case-by-case basis. But if you can find a way of doing the same, having the same results, but with but by using fewer resources um, and having less impact on the environment, then either if you if you price those two things in, it's obviously cheaper to make if you use less resources, and we will and are starting to see legislation that is um, encouraging people to to have less impact on the environment. But your thesis is that not only is it doing better financially but it will continue to do better financially because fundamentally green is just going to be cheaper, especially if the legislation comes in to price the externalities correctly to make it all fair. Exactly. You're absolutely right. The externalities at the moment are not priced in. The the cost, yeah, like you said, the cost of carbon, et cetera, is not priced in. Um, there's a a sort of a thought experiment we sometimes use to explain this to to either conventional investors or to to people newer to the industry, and uh, we call it the inverse pie chart. So what you'll often hear is companies saying, "Oh well, we put in ten percent of our investment portfolio into um, ESG investments, or we put twenty five percent, or fifty percent, or seventy five percent." The question really is, uh, as soon as that is below one hundred percent, if a green investment is an investment which doesn't which which doesn't have a negative impact on the environment that means if it is not a green investment then it then it is having a negative impact on the environment so the inverse pie chart for us is well if 10% of your if 10% of your investments are green then the inverse of that is 90% of your investments are going towards destroying the planet because <laughs> uh, you're right it's not a green or neutral it's quite binary isn't it exactly science finance is a green merchant bank. So we deploy our own balance sheets, capital into green sustainable businesses. But we also work to channel in external capital into the sector as well. And we not only deploy our own capital, but we also work with other people's. And the, the reason why that's important is because you know, the, the, the green economy, by definition, needs to grow for our economy to become greener. The most important thing that we can do right now is help bigger investors, banks, um, you know, rich individuals, family offices, endowments to move their capital into this sector. Ideally, in an ideal world, those investors who are currently investing into bad investments in our eyes, so fossil fuels, etc. So whilst it's important to make sure that the money that is already in the green economy is applied in the most important places, uh, in the most impactful areas. It's also super important right now that we make sure that people who are divesting from other sectors are investing into this sector. That's a really good point. I hear a lot about divestment, but not enough by investment. Exactly. And so whilst it's great to see places like New York and all these big universities divesting, so it's important that that capital is put to work, because if it's not put to work, then it won't have, it'll, it'll only have a fraction of the impact that it could have. So it sounds like you're also helping other capital feed into this space. And you mentioned various different sources. Like one thing you mentioned, what's it called? Family? Family offices. 
I discovered that word recently. Those are the incredibly rich, like the Vodafones and the people who own kind of very large companies mm-hmm. kept in the family, right? Yeah. So you're also speaking to these people and it sounds like educating them on how to invest or perhaps bringing them in and convincing them to invest in green finance. What do those conversations look like? How are you convincing people to move their finances over to a more green target? I'm really glad you asked that question because it ties into what we were talking about before. So when it comes to the companies that we're working with, the first question that we ask them is, what are your green credentials? We're very aware that we're a unique company in that respect and that most companies ask about the financial returns that are available first. But what's really important here is we don't talk that same language to the investors on the other side. So there's two. One of the reasons why there is a gap is because these two sides of the equation talk very different languages. And so our our interest with financial investors is to, as you say, educate them. Now, those organizations all have what is called a fiduciary responsibility to look after the money that is within their management and try and ensure they get as high a return as possible, but whilst mitigating the risk. Our role here is to show that green sustainable companies, which are by definition future-proofed because they are designed to integrate into this green sustainable future economy are one of the most effective ways that you can mitigate your risk against this shift away shift towards green sustainable investments and also to get access to the to the returns that you will be seeing as we as these companies you know, grow and expand and, and most importantly, companies who have not considered their green sustainable future, have not designed themselves to fit within this green sustainable future, they will start to fall away. And we will see, we are already seeing this and we will continue to see this moving forward. I love that. So that sounds like we already know that the future is going to be full of green, sustainable companies. We know that because there's already evidence of it. They're outperforming the markets. The only type of organization that can possibly exist in the future is a sustainable company. And so therefore, you're just trying to tell them how they can keep their money or how they can make money. And that's like, uh, yeah. yeah. So how does this scale? Like, What's the route from where you are now to the maximum potential impact of Scion Finance? The way that Scion Finance becomes a uh, an established force in this sector and in the financial, the financial services sector as a whole is by proving that investing with a green sustainable mindset will lead to better returns than by not doing that. And ironically, one of the ways that we need, one of the things that we need to do that is to educate other financial services firms. So Your competition. You know, we talk to these, exactly, yeah, because so it is a worryingly small fraction of people in the sector that take the climate emergency seriously and think it is anything apart from a fad, which in their defense, they have seen a number of over the last however long they've they've worked in the sector, whether it be emerging markets or private capital or real estate. Um, 
they will have seen these things come and go. And what they need to realize is that this is not, not like any of those things, because this is not something which is going to boom and then reach its capacity and then potentially be overpriced and correct itself. This is something which is, in our view, the financial services sector reverting back to its basic principles, which is that if an investment isn't sustainable, then it is not an investment. And for us, that should be common sense. That should be something which is inherent in all investments and all investment decisions in the long term. What is clear, and you know, there's lots of reasons for this, is that that hasn't been the case for a long time. Um, and and those, those organizations who, who haven't got that kind of culture at their core at their core will start to fall behind as compared to companies that are trying to internalize those ideas. I think one of the challenges is that it's difficult for people to know where to put their money, like what is a startup, what is an organization which has the climate impact. And in fact, the thing that's probably going to trigger a mass movement of money into the sustainability space are funds and organizations and banks like yourself just being a huge success. Mm. And sustainability funds having huge successes with unicorn startups and the like, and your bank having huge successes, that all by itself, I think, is interesting. I think that's going to, just the same way as blockchain and perhaps AI and all these other technologies really got people excited and really brought their eye onto things. I think your success is actually going to help drive a lot of money in the direction that we needed to go. One of the issues of getting money pouring into this space is that if you pour, you know, if you pour 100 liters of water into a bucket and put a pinprick in the bottom of it, it takes a long time for that water to drain out. So one of the issues is that writing a check of 100 million for a bank is very doable. And it's easier we we often say is often joke it's easier to do an IPO for 100 million than it is to raise 100,000 from the markets. The reason is because writing those bigger check sizes is you can deploy, the reason is you can deploy more capital faster by writing a smaller number of bigger checks than you can by writing a large number of smaller checks. Because the, the work and the, the legals and all of the overheads is the same whether you're writing a check for 100,000 or 100 million, give or take. So what you end up with is a large wall of capital that wants to get into this sector, but it, what it really requires, and the social purpose of a bank has always been to take those larger sums of capital and chop it up into smaller amounts and funnel it to where society needs it. And so again, like to bring it back to science, that's what our view is, is the biggest priority right now for society is to fund green, sustainable SMEs and startups. And so, and, and also to, to make sure that this capital, which wants to get into the sector, can get into the sector. And there's two ways that, uh, two things that are important. It's, it's the size of the capital. So making sure that it is small enough for these businesses to take 
without them over capitalizing themselves secondly it is the, the making sure that it, it is the right type of capital so i've fundraised myself for, for my own startups and i took equity capital if you talk to most startups they normally talk about equity finance because everyone kind of understands when you sell a bit of your business for x amount and then you spend that x on developing the business Mo most commercial finance um, we all understand that you can borrow money to invest or that you can instead of buying a piece of equipment which is going to bring value to your company you might lease it instead mm. and these are two options which are generally speaking not available at the bottom end of the spectrum because again it's hard to do in for, for businesses of that scale and it's much easier to do it at that large end and so the goal of cyan is to try and be as agnostic as possible so that when someone comes to us and explains what their business is doing what their challenges are um, and how capital might fix that we don't have a a menu of options a strict menu of options which says well actually we only do equity finance and so whatever problem you come to us with we're going to try and fix that with equity capital and it's by no it's, it's by no fault of the financial services sector as a whole that individually each of the organizations within the sector you mentioned funds funds will take capital from investors and will explain in their prospectus we will be investing your capital into companies of this size and scale with this kind of ebitda with this kind of growth potential and in check sizes of this size into debt or equity or something like that and so as soon as you are narrowing yourself down like that it makes it a lot more difficult to help a larger broader broad company broad scale of companies within a sector so our our vision is to say well actually come to us whether you are looking for twenty-five thousand for an electric vehicle 25 million to scale your business internationally or 250 million uh, in debt to radically shift the way that your business works in order to um, again align yourself with this future uh, future economy so we will and we can deploy that capital either from our own balance sheet or we can connect you to that capital from somewhere else i see so i hadn't actually thought of finance from that perspective from the types of different finance and yes i, I just automatically think about equity finance you, know, you think about startups you think about giving up stock shares but yes also if i'm a small to medium business small to sme business i don't want to give up shares i just want to take a loan you know an electric vehicle you mentioned is a great example can you give some examples of the types of organizations that you help or have helped so if you are a business which is investing into research and development in the uk you have the, the ability to claim back part of that spend as R&D tax credits. And at the end of the year, you will put in your claim as part of your tax return and it'll come back to you within X number of months. It depends how busy HMRC are at the time. Um, and obviously that's great because you get that and you can spend that in year two on whatever it is you feel the need to spend it on. One of the the most popular products that we use and again we we often talk about bringing 
the kind of common sense thing side of things to finance is us saying well hang on a minute if you are if we know if you know roughly what you're going to be spending in year one and that you'll be claiming it back at the end of year one to get it back in year two if we can just advance finance that we know roughly halfway through the year in year year six, uh, month six or seven you're going to know roughly what you're spending on r d that year and if it aligns with what you spent the previous year, why don't we give you that capital now so that you can spend that on R&D today, accelerate your growth today so that you're in a better position at the end of the year regardless. And of course, you're still going to get, because we won't finance at all, you're still going to get a portion of that back from HMRC. And just for our listeners, HMRC is the UK's tax authority. Her, what's it stand for? Her Majesty's? Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Which for the non-UK people find it quite funny that our government agencies always start with Her Majesty's. But anyway. Yeah. So they are, they're the organisation that it, um, that eventually is where this capital is flowing back to Cyan from. So it's great for us because as long as that company remains a going concern through into year two, then we can be fairly confident we can collect. And so, whereas most organizations would look at a startup who's investing into R&D, who's by definition almost only going to be loss-making because that is when you get the uh, most benefit from that particular system, most lenders would say, absolutely not. Um, we're seeing that a lot at the moment. They'll say that that is not a, a sort of business that we can lend to. Um, the only option then they will have is to go to other kind of uh, providers such as angels or VCs or some kind of equity capital um, equity finance option. There's another example of that, which is again very popular, and um, I'd be happy for your listeners to know about, which is Innovate UK funding. Um, so most people know that you can apply to Innovate UK for either specific calls that they put out or for one of their generic ones. Uh, and especially they've got a lot in the green in the green sector. So Innovate UK is a government fund where you can claim yes. money. Yeah. Why don't you explain it a little bit? So Innovate UK is the is part of UK research and innovation. And their role is to put out to tender problems that the government sees. So for example, clean transport or clean uh, heating. Um or just you know a green energy system as a whole, companies can then apply and say, well, we would do X, Y, and Z if you fund us, and it's all focused on R and D. So these aren't these uh, projects are almost always going to be non-commercial. Um, so it'll be, for example, testing a innovative type of charging mechanism. Uh, now most startups wouldn't risk a lot of this R and D because the strain, the extra strain that it can put on you, if it doesn't work, could potentially bring your business under. Um, and so the the kind of cost benefit there isn't normally worth it. But from a from the government's perspective, they want to incentivize this. One of the problems there is a little bit like the R and D thing. Um, the capital comes afterwards, so you have to spend the money to get to claim it back on a three monthly period, so quarterly period. So if you are company A looking at a new type of home uh, home insulation, for example, um, or smart home project. Um, in month, month one, you 
invest into this R&D project month two, you invest into the R&D project month three, you invest into the R&D project month, end of month three, month four, you sit down with your project manager, they work out if you've hit your targets and then they will reimburse you. So for most startups and most SMEs, they don't have cash sat around waiting to be spent. Um, so our role here, again, is just trying to advance finance those things so that they can invest that capital at the beginning and then um you know it it, it basically smooths out the the cash flow issue uh, whereas normally it's quite lumpy this smooths it out through the uh, throughout the time of that project it sounds like you're using some pretty innovative techniques or methods it sounds that way at least to try and mitigate the risks of some of this investment to make sure that you can support these green startups, whereas other banks and institutions just wouldn't bother. They wouldn't bother trying mm. looking for these ways to mitigate this risk, which is why they wouldn't lend money to those kinds mm. of organizations. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So can you give a couple of examples of some of the portfolio of companies or organizations that you invest in? So we have taking a view on on a few different markets has been particularly impactful within the uh, within this new future economy. One of these has been e-mobility, and there's lots of reasons behind that. Partly, it's from a regulatory perspective. We are pushing on an open door, and government and other investors are now receptive and, and keen to sort of see that sector become a success. But also, it, it feeds into everything else. So, Battery, um, battery storage, for example, is a really uh, core part of that. Energy generation, energy transmission, and all these different sort of things all feed together. To um, in in th that one sector is impacted and connected to all of the, the all of those other ones. So for us, it was a very good place to start. Um, a few examples within there would be Vmoto. So Vmoto uh, import and distribute two-wheeled electric vehicles. So you might see them, for example, delivering uh, pizzas and takeaways and, and what have you um, and replacing those noisy, um, dirty two-stroke no, two mopeds. Um, and then you will see, uh, and also uh, apparently a lot of people commuting on them because they're quite a pleasant way to commute, uh, I've been told. Uh, on the charging infrastructure, which is often brought up as a as a necessity within that sector, we have, for example, um, financed a company called Chargy, a London-based company that electrifies existing street furniture. So you take something like a lamppost mm -hmm. and you pop their backpack on it. And what that does is obviously works wired in, provides a relatively what they'd call a slow trickle charge. So you'll plug your car in, or indeed your, 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 your moped in overnight, and that will slowly charge. Um, so it does, so it's not too stressful on the grid. Obviously, it's cheaper for you. It's normally greener energy at those times. Uh, and you know, depending on the tariff, sometimes you can even be cost negative. Um, so that is a... A great example of a company that's doing some really good innovative stuff in the charging sector. Powervolt is a a great company which connects into that. It is a great example of how that e-mobility connect 
sector is so vital for us making a green future. So PowerVault takes second life electric vehicle batteries. So these are, they will take the batteries out of electric vehicles and the individual cells within those batteries, they will repackage those into a home charging unit. And so that then acts as your home's smart battery system, Mm. which can obviously take a charge and discharge as, as needed and shows that that sector is really thinking about that circular economy approach of how do we extract as much value as possible from uh, from these you know, resources that we're acquiring and that we're digging out the ground? How do we extract as much value as possible throughout their lifetime, life cycle? If you are you know, a green zealot, as I've been called before, finding something which finding a, yeah finding a finance company deep green yeah deep green exactly finding a finance company that shares your passion and shares your vision of where the future is is very tricky um and of course being represented by a company like that has its benefits not just from a perspective of wanting to green your supply chain but also you know that they will be that, that we are doing this for the right reasons um, because, you know, we, again, believe that you are, um, as a green company that's looking to get access to capital, the future of our economy. And that is why we focus exclusively on you. And that's why we are, you know, embedded within that economy. And so when it comes to the kind of investors that you're looking to talk to, the kind of competitors that you're working against, the kind of partners that we can work with, these are people and organizations that um, we just naturally come into contact with every day and build up that network, as opposed to this is the first time that we've ever heard what a kilowatt is. We have to try and understand that before we even take that second step. I'm trying to work out how to work with you as a company. So I really want to move on for a second and talk about you, if I can, and kind of your background and what inspired you to join Science Finance. I'll give you the version that I'd be allowed to talk about. <laughs> the real reason, so I worked, I, uh, I worked at ITN and I was putting news programs together. Yeah. Um, uh, sponsored content news programs. Um, one of them was for um, a big, it was an energy focused program. And it became pretty clear pretty quickly about the amount of greenwashing that was happening. And this is in 2014. And it was the same year that offshore wind was um, essentially banned in the UK. And I, I'll always remember at that moment sat in my office um, and that click when I was like, ah, this doesn't happen unless we make it happen. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I need to, I need to work in the sector because otherwise I will drive myself crazy um because yeah that that cognitive dissonance there of knowing something needs to be done but not doing it would drive me nuts um so then i i was sort of trying to move into the sector and it's you know it's still very new like this is 2014 um and it's it took me a while to get into it and i ended up putting events on for the un around sustainability and my uh, sort of landmark event there was putting an event on alongside the UN General Assembly, focusing specifically on sustainable finance. And it meant that I had the opportunity to talk to the entire investment chain 
from what we call asset owners, who are the people who ultimately own the capital, through to the investment managers, who are the people who are paid to decide where that capital is invested, and then through to the companies who those that capital is eventually invested into. And it became pretty apparent that there's a break in that chain in the middle where there is a lack of um, where the incentive model is not aligned with long-term growth, long-term sustainable investments. So if you're an insurance company, you need to make sure that that money is still around in 100 years' time. If you're an endowment, you need to make sure that money is still there in 100 years' time. If you're an investment manager, in reality, your your bonus and your incentive structure is really measured in months and years rather than you know decades right. or even centuries. So that would that became pretty clear there. And so I was like, well, I definitely want to do this. And now I was very lucky enough to to meet the the founder of Cyan. Um, just just happenstance, and then. Um, you know, I, I was I, before that I was running my own startups, and you know, in in the education sector. So I'm very used to being in a sector that is shy, uh, that is that is um, struggling to get it, to get a lot of capital into it. Um, and so when I when I when I you know when I met with him, we sort of I think we we saw sort of kindred spirits, and that we both we both really wanted to make a big impact and, and we wanted to, you know, we weren't, we're not sort of scared of going against the status quo and, and, and in trying to do something different. Um, and what we've done is we've, we've built an amazing team and, you know, really just so proud of the people that we have. Um, and it has, it's taken, you know, a long time to find them because finding, People who share that um, that absolute need to do this has been really tricky. There's been lots of people that are, that we've spoken to that are incredibly skilled financiers and would like to see a greener future. But when you ask them, when you talk to them about any idea, of sort of, I'd say I, I'm going to use the word sort of personal sacrifice. I like do they do they really do they really think it's on them? Do they, would they feel pained if they weren't involved in it? The answer to, for most of them, the answer is no. They aren't. They, it would, it's a nice to have. And what we've managed to do is build a company full of people who the, the environment and, and building a, a green bank is not a nice to have. It's an absolute necessity. That's pretty inspiring. That's really good. Thank you. Just a final question. So is there anything inspirational, something you've read recently, a, a person our listeners should follow, a thought you've had, something you want to leave our listeners with? The hardest thing about working in this sector is finding writers and speakers and people who are genuinely compelling and can convey the urgency and the need for change, mm. but also don't make you sort of fall into a pit of despair. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it's it's a real it's a real balancing act there. Yeah. And you know, there are some people that do it amazingly well. I think Naomi Klein is fantastic. George Monbiot is just 
incredible. Uh, he's absolutely one of my um, biggest influences in moving into creating a change in mindset, which is needed to understand that things will not always be this way. Mm. There is one book um, by someone else, which is uh, The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace Wells, mm. who I think is at the extreme end of closest to that pit of despair, but has put most succinctly the expected direction of travel if we don't change, or rather, even if we just carry on and slow down, if we reach these tipping points, this is what we can expect to happen. And, you know, we are already seeing these sorts of impacts and, and changes on the environment. Um, you know, 2020, with everything that's happening right now, is um, set up to be to have some of the highest volume of hurricanes um, in known history. So with everything else going on, that is also going to be something which we'll be contending with. And that, you know, fits with the last few years of increased um, increased number. Well, thank you so much, Johnny Page. Thank you for taking us through the complexities and the importance, I'd say, as well, of financing green. I can see it's a really important part of the solution. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing and that Science Finance is doing in this space. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Hassan. You've been listening to Asim Hussain on The Climate Fix. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe on your favourite podcast application. It really does help. Information about this episode, including all the links that we mentioned, can be found on our website, theclimatefix.com. If you want to message me, you can find me on Twitter as jawache, or you can email me at hello at theclimatefix.com. If you want each new episode neatly packaged together with the show notes and sent to your inbox weekly, then subscribe to our newsletter, which you can again find on theclimatefix.com. Till next time.